Hello and welcome back to Cryptids Decrypted. I am Ashton McCauley, your host. I'm a writer. I make adventure books about uh, cryptid hunting and cryptozoology and all sorts of creatures that go bump in the night. Uh, you can buy them anywhere books are sold, on Amazon or whatever, but that's not why you're here. You're here to listen to a podcast about cryptids. And before we get started, I just want to say that we are supported by, uh, well, we, nothing. We don't really do that. We're really supported by our will to keep doing this podcast. And what gets us up uh, at six in the morning to record is knowing that you all like what we're doing. So if you like the podcast, uh, please share us around anywhere. You can find us on Twitter at, at @castdecrypted. I don't know. You can find us on Instagram uh, at cryptidsdecrypted and just, you know, Hit us up. Let us know you like the podcast. Uh, share it with your friends, your family, with Reddit, whoever. B- bring it up at family dinners. You know, you're, you're having dinner. You're having you're having a nice steak, and you're like, you know what? The steak reminds me of is uh, a prime cut of a show, Cryptids Decrypted. You should you should check it out, and I I bet that's going to go over well, and I think your family will really enjoy it. Uh, but that, you know that is enough talking from me. Uh, let's get into the episode. Uh, I think you're going to really enjoy it. Hello and welcome back. This is the second episode of season four of Cryptids Decrypted. We were gone for a long time because, uh, you know, it was summer. It was the hot pandemic summer that never turned out to be and, and, and we needed a break. But John and I are back today recording uh, our first episode of season four. And we're talking about uh, spirits of South and Central America. How's it going, John? It's been a while. It's it's going pretty well. I'm only slightly offended I was not included in the season premiere. Um, but we move forward and we, we smile and laugh about it. Um, Benjamin Radford had it in his writer. He's just like, don't get that guy, John, anywhere near me. And fair, I, I fair tried, point. I tried that's, to convince him. That's a smart call by Benjamin. Uh, and, and you mentioned hot summer. Yeah, it's been a hell of a summer, a hell of a fall already. I think the world's been through a lot. I, I know here in the Pacific Northwest, we've had heat we've never seen before. We've had flooding across the country, multiple hurricanes. So, um, Thank God we're through it. Hopefully we continue making progress on this pandemic and all that kind of shit. I, I really thought that when we finished season three, we'd be through it when we started recording season four. But uh, <laughs> jokes on jokes on us. Anyways, uh, we are here today uh, to talk about some spirits and myths because we're kicking off spooky season right. And I think this season we are going to be doing a lot more myths than we have done before. Uh, but they're interesting, and I think that they do kind of occupy the same space as cryptids. I think it's definitely worth exploring. They, they do, but I will say it presents certain challenges that are unique to myths, which I think we found with yep. one of our topics today, where sightings are very thin when it comes to myths and mythology and those types of things when we're dealing with gods and deities, so... Yeah, it's actually like researching history now, and we have to, we're, you know, we'll probably end up changing the format up a bit with some of these, just because, like John said, the sightings are so thin. So today we're actually going to be doing two myths that kind of occupy similar brain spaces. I, you know, I realized I said Central and South American, but Benjamin actually taught me something about the second myth, is that it, it really is a New Mexican myth, uh, but I will leave that to you, John, when we get there. So that's a tease. But first up, we're going to talk about uh, La Madre Monte, which I, I'm going to really apologize for my Spanish pronunciation. Like I've legit been trying to learn Spanish over the pandemic and uh, pronunciation has not gotten much better. So La Madre Monte means mother mountain. And this myth originates from Colombia. 
And it primarily shows up in jungles and mountains. So this is something I first became interested in uh, in 2016. When I was working on my uh, second novel, I was looking for myths in the uh, Central and South American regions and stumbled upon stumbled upon La Madre Monte. And I started reading about it and I thought, well, this is this is interesting. I can I can absolutely use this for a plot point. And then I kept going and it's a pretty deep myth. Uh, but what interested me is like how variable it is, depending on the sighting, depending on like who's telling the story. So that's kind of interesting. Here's the key pillars of the myth. La Madre Monte is an elegant woman who walks through the dense jungle and wears leaves and greenery from the forest. Uh, she never reveals her face and conceals it with a large green hat or more leaves depending on who you ask. Her primary role is a protector of the jungle, similar to the way that uh, we actually have like the Bigfoot myth in a lot of places that they're thought of as a protector of the jungle. And in general, she's not a fan of low lives of all varieties. So that's like uh, it mentions specifically cheating spouses, mischief makers, uh, or just vagabonds, which not very progressive, Lamondra would say, okay? I don't think vagabond is what we call them anymore. I, I will say cheating spouses will come up again. So you mentioned yeah, sharing brain Yeah, cheating spouses is like, because yeah. uh, that came up in Wendigos too. And uh, when I spoke with uh, Benjamin on our last episode, we talked about how a lot of these myths end up serving as cautionary tales, which is why the themes of like cheating spouses or anything that would harm the collective good comes up a lot. And that's why they endure. Uh, so if you haven't checked that episode out yet, definitely check it out. But according to legend, La Madramote will present insurmountable obstacles to intruders or passersby she doesn't like and then trap them in the jungle as a result. So I don't know if you remember, there was, I believe it was an NBC show uh, way back when called The River. Mm, I do remember that show. Yeah. That was supposed to be The Next Lost. It was. It was, but it had some really good episodes and it had some real fun, spooky ones that I really liked, but then it got canceled after one season after, I mean, that, that was the era of like lots of NBC shows getting canceled after one season. Like I think The Cape was on NBC as well, but you know, I was just going to say she sounds a lot like The River. Well, she sounds like Jumanji as well. Yeah, or really, I mean, Jumanji sounds like her. She's been around a lot longer. I wasn't able to find, like, a an origin, uh, like, a, like an exact date, but I'm pretty sure if you got stone statues of you... I was going to say, old, in multiple countries, in multiple areas and towns and countries. Yep, and I mean, like, granted, we don't have enough statues of Robin Williams as is, but I, I don't know if he's going to win this fight. So what I found uh, especially interesting, too, is the reverence towards this entity but also the fear that comes with it and what it actually reminded me of uh was the hawaiian god uh i think it's pele i might i might mess that up but it's one of the volcanic gods and it's because la Monte is very vengeful and prone to temper and similar to the similar to pele Madramonte controls weather patterns and is often blamed for natural disasters like floods and heavy storms. So that's it's kind of interesting to see that popping up again. I know that I don't think we really have uh, a lot of those in the U.S. other than from Native American cultures to make sense because, like, when colonization came in, religious oppression was like, nah, you, you, gods don't control the weather. One one god does. <laughs> mm-hmm. So. I, I also think it's interesting you mentioned Hawaiian gods because when you're describing this, it makes me think of the, um, I, I don't know what her name is, but in the, in the movie Moana, it's all based around Hawaiian mythology and those types of things but the main bad guy slash giant good goddess like makes me think of mother mountain she's also literally a mountain but like she controls tempests in the sea she turns into this flaming angry demon god when her heart is stolen 
And then when she comes back, she's covered in leaves, covered in foilage, those types of things. So yeah, that comes to mind as well. Tikar, the ancient rival of the demigod Maui. I thought Tikar of... was the the evil side, but there was yeah. also a good side. Oh yeah, Tikar bears similarities to the religious Hawaiian figure Pele. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna. Yeah, it does. In like even the, the depiction and all that looks a lot. It looks very similar. So either way, I think that's interesting. And uh, that's actually that's some good fodder for later books and stuff because you know I love demigods. Big fan. Uh, okay, so brief aside on some regional variations, uh, Madramonte changes a lot, and so I've seen some descriptions as beautiful, uh, stout, and also terrifying. Uh, in some stories, she has long, bony fingers and razor-sharp teeth. Others, she wails through the night, warning jungle explorers of her presence, uh, and the consistent pieces seem to be the coat of leaves and the fact that she is a woman and the rest shifts wildly. Now, the image of her wearing a large, floppy green hat is pretty great. And, uh, like, just a goddess walking around in a giant sun hat I can get on board with. I love to think that she invented sun hats, and that's how we have them now, is she had them all those years ago. Really? I mean, the fashion industry should be getting a, a big cut, because floppy, floppy sun hats are in right now. It's following the Pacific Northwest. You could put a lot of really fun sayings on them. Mm-hmm. La Monte could be a clothing brand now. Really, we're pitching it, so if anybody wants to get in, get involved with us for that. You it know, rolls off the up. tongue. It really it does. does. Sounds fancy. A jungle-themed clothing brand. Yeah, that's I, you know that's super in right now, I'm sure. I understand fashion. I just watched The Devil Wears Prada last night. I, I got this. Okay, so now this myth has been around for a long time. Uh, it dates back to the indigenous people of Colombia. And as with a lot of ancient myths, it was meant to serve a purpose, in this case, warning about the dangers of the jungle, and to treat it with respect. Uh, this is a bit of speculation, but given the fact that the Madramonte makes people get lost in the jungle for not obeying societal norms. It's very similar to uh, the Wendigo and all those other things, which, again, the Wendigo, when we talked about it, I believe that was season... Was that season two? Yeah, that was season two. Se- season two, we talked about the Wendigo. But if you don't remember, uh, Wendigos were seen as primarily forming from acts of greed. And it got kind of twisted to be mostly about cannibalism later on, but it was actually just anything that might harm the tribe was considered to basically be capable of making you into a Wendigo. So very similar cautionary tale aspect there. Specifically, Madramote is played for waterborne illness, floods, storms, and just about everything nasty that comes out of the jungle. So I guess not really specifically. I should have started that sentence different, but played for a lot of things in the jungle. And you can see this myth as being easily advantageous to teaching people that they need to treat the jungle with caution and respect uh, and it's actually kind of almost an early form of environmentalism when you think about it, because like they say that La Madramonte really doesn't mess with you unless you're in a part of the jungle you shouldn't be in or you have any plans on harming the jungle. So, you know, maybe we could have used a myth like this, like so something to like deter loggers or something like that. I don't think we really have one of those either, but nothing would have deterred loggers, dude. The yep. almighty dollar supersedes all myths, unfortunately, <laughs> or starts them. Or starts you know, them, yeah. a, lot, a, lot, a lot of myths uh, have started from <laughs> have started from wanting to make a buck. See, yeah, okay, okay yeah, no, the uh, one of our cryptid royales, the hodag. Thank you, yeah, and the yep, jackalope. I knew, I knew exactly which one. <laughs> and the jackalope, yeah, yeah, the jackalope's still big business. All right, it's cryptid royal season two. two. So all that's well and good. How do you get away? Uh, and again, a lot of variations. So when you're in the Colombian jungle. 
Here's some steps. Common theme seems to be showing no fear or even insulting La Madre Monte to get her to go away. Uh, not so difficult when it's a stout, elegant woman. It is a little tougher, I think, when she is a bony old crone made of scary branches and shit that's trying to slice you up. Other accounts say she can be whipped with tobacco sticks. Uh, <laughs> others also say that she just doesn't like the smell of strong tobacco, so if you're smoking a pipe, you're fine. Uh, you can tie an ornate liana around the waist, uh, which is, I believe, a type of plant. Like a, kind of like, I don't know, just a nice little plant belt. Uh, alternatively, you can carry mustard seeds in your pockets. And finally, if none of that works, you can say this, the prayer of San uh, uh, San Isidoro Labrador, the attorney of the mountains and sawmills, is how that is directly translated, which I'm sure is missing some stuff, but, you know... But yeah, the attorney of mountains and sawmills apparently is the patron saint that can get you out of this. Mountains over, and sawmills. Huh. You know, sometimes you got to do double duty. If it works, it works. Yeah. I, so it sounds like the best way to get away from this thing is to either roll around with Gandalf or... Yeah. I, I'm surprised that there's so much about smoking that gets you out of this. But, you know, like, apparently, apparently if you're, if you're a smoker, you're going to be all right. I don't know. It's just like... Smoke a pipe, but I'm pretty sure, like, you know, Marble Reds will do you just fine. The other way is just blasting Tom Petty's Don't Back Down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> God, now I'm picturing that. Uh, if only we could play that song right now. I'm going to listen to that later. Licenses are probably expensive. Oh, oh yeah. Just our theme song alone. You know, that was some money. We All right, but... Song? Yeah, we have, we, have a, we have a theme tune. Oh, a theme tune. Okay, not a song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah you're right. I, I've been trying to compose this a theme song, and that's going to be a few more seasons in the making. Still waiting on Red Hot Chili Peppers to hit us back. Maybe yeah, one day. Or, or Rob Lowe, where are you at? We've asked you to make our theme song so many times now, and you just never get back to us. Oh, we've asked him to make a theme song now? I know we asked him to, to guest host. But... We've, we've asked Rob Lowe for a lot of things, and frankly, it's shocking that he hasn't gotten back to us. Cause I've hit him up on Instagram. He's such a big fan. Times. So sightings. Now, this is traditionally, we'd swap over to John here, but we're going to be doing two myths today. And the sightings on this one are slim to none at best. So modern day sightings of this myth are pretty thin. I asked Benjamin Radford about like what he thought about this because he is he studied myths like this a lot. And I think a lot of it ends up coming down to like, well, part of it is pop culture adaptations, which La Madre does not have many. So it's hard for it to stay in the consciousness as like a physical entity. Uh, whereas the next myth we're talking about has been adapted a bunch of times, so it kind of makes sense uh, that there are still, like, tales and stuff like that about it. But I did manage to find a single YouTube video, which I will, uh, if you go to MacAshton.com slash podcast, I will uh, make a post there with the a few YouTube videos that I'm going to mention and some more facts about La Madre Monte and our other myth. Uh, but the video really just shows a woman uh, silhouetted in the branches of the jungle, uh, like wailing and flailing back and forth to a background of wolves. And one of the comments actually says, uh, Yo creo que es la, más la Llorona que la Madre Monte, which means I think this is actually more La Llorona than Madre Monte. So we might even have a mix-up in the sightings there. There's another fantastic YouTube video. John, did you see the 3D video I sent you that basically looks like an early Shrek prototype? I have not seen that. I will go take it a look. Is, it is absolutely wild. But yeah, so that one is pure gold. It's entirely in Spanish. So, but even if you don't understand it, you can get the gist from watching it. It is just like this brightly colored, very stiffly animated uh, video of La Madre Monte sniffing flowers and doing weird shit. And uh, I don't know. I recommend it. Made me happy. 
So that's questionable. Uh, the only sighting I found looks 100% fake. But there is one really important pop culture reference I found, and it's very striking. It's in the popular adventure novel series, The Nick Ventner Adventures. So in book two, Nick Ventner encounters La Madre Montaigne's Central American Rainforest, which is a little far from Colombia. So I don't think the author did that great a research, to be honest. The version we get in this novel is definitely more on the horror side. Uh, it's described as follows. Uh, the creature stood looking me dead in the eye, covered head to foot in leaves and vines. An ugly veil of moss and lichen hung across its face, obscuring most of its features. Unnaturally long hands like intertwining tree roots hung at its side, ending in clawed fingers that raked the ground upon walking forward as leaves assimilated into its body. Uh, so overall, I think that's a pr it's pretty faithful, a little leaning into the spooky side. But, you know, if you want to read more about La Madremonte, it's like the only pop culture reference I found. So I guess I'd recommend checking that book out. Again, that's the Nick Ventner Adventures, available on Amazon and just about anywhere. Uh, Google them. I learned today that it's pronounced lichen, not lichen. Yeah, I, I, I hope I'm pronouncing it. I think it's lichen. I always thought it was Lichen, so it's nice to hear that, like, yeah, that's that's how it is. Um, I also gave that book a 5 out of 5 on Goodreads, so. Weird. Yeah, I don't know who that author is, but damn, they must He's... be they must be pretty good. Also pretty handsome. Yeah, I, I've heard that, too. But the book has a skull on the cover, so come on, it's like October. Yeah. Go, it go read it. Go read it. Steers into the whole thing. But speaking of spooky... I think our second myth here, which is the spirit of another woman, is is definitely spookier than La Madremonte. So, John, who are we talking about next? So we are talking about La 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 Yorona. Um, <laughs> and, and I have to say, Ashton, this was a fucked up one to give me as a father of a two and a half year old and a four month old. So, Oh, man, I um, didn't even think about that. But yeah. Yeah, yeah it is. It is a fucked up one to give you. My bad. Uh, so, yeah, this this myth is a pretty messed up one. And it, it does serve as kind of a cautionary tale, which we'll get to in a second. Um, but in short, a long time ago, there was a woman from humble beginnings, from peasant beginnings, named Maria. She was a striking beauty with both the wealthy and the poor. Everybody stopped to turn, um, think kind of like Helen of Troy. And she eventually married a wealthy man. Now, he adored her, idolized her. She was the apple of his eye, um, the one source of his affections, uh, until she bore him two sons. When that happened, he kind of shifted his attention to the sons. He wasn't home all the time. It became less and less that he would be home. Um, and when he was home, he really just focused on the sons. Uh, until one day, she was walking next to the river with both her sons, and she saw an eloquent carriage pass by. Well, inside that carriage, she saw her husband with another woman. In a fit of grief... She chose to go with murder-suicide, and she threw both her children into the river, drowning them. She then kind of came to with realization, and this is where the myth kind of diverts a little bit, where according to some regions and some variations, she then drowned herself immediately and then was denied uh, access to heaven and was sent to roam the earth in purgatory as punishment. And then the flip side of it is that she walked up and down the riverbanks looking for her kids, refusing to eat for days and days until she was had no meat on her bones and was this skinny skeletal creature. And then she died on the riverbanks and then she was denied access to heaven and sent back. This is 
a story that dates all the way back to 1500 in Mexico City when we're talking about um, written documentation. But like you had mentioned, a lot of folks also point to the Santa Fe River specifically and this being something that originates out of New Mexico. It has swept all across South, Southern and Central America, across different cultures, different countries, um, and really has spread as a cautionary tale for children. Um, this is a woman, and La Llorona does stand for the weeping woman, which is a common trope when you when it comes to Iberian and Amerindian cultures, um, just wailing women, those types of things. And Iberian, when we say that, we do mean the Iberian Peninsula. So think Spain, Portugal, um, those countries predominantly, which did come down and colonize Central and Southern America. It even like comes up in stuff like like Germanic folklore and stuff too. Like it's the weeping woman is just like a weirdly, well, it's not weirdly common, but I guess like people are always going to be afraid of water. <laughs> yeah. And, and creepy women who are crying about their kids. I mean, it's an easy, easy source to touch on because I think we all know the grief of how it might feel to lose a child. Not all of us know the actual grief, but like can imagine like how painful it would be if your kid was here one minute and not the next. Yeah. So again, screw you for giving me this myth, Ashton. Um <laughs> Just, yeah, just so we know, since, since we last did a season, John is now a new parent again. So I, I thought it'd be really good to just bring him down to earth. Be like, this could happen to you, John. Yeah, it's 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 great. This is my revenge for making us record at 6 a.m. <laughs> okay, touche. You know what? It's cool. We got plenty more child murder myths coming up. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Fantastic. Anyway, so this is, again, a myth that's kind of spread far and wide and... um the specific river, again, was the Santa Fe River in New Mexico. That's where it stems from. But some of our sightings actually come from Laredo, Texas, so I'm excited to get into that. But in short, this woman is a apparition wearing a white, ripped and torn gown. Uh, she's tall and skinny as a stick, but very bony and skeletal. And when you can, when you hear her near water and crying, that is a message to children to stay away, run away, come back home and really be careful. And that ties back into it being a cautionary tale of you, you need to not mess around near water. It's very easy to drown, especially when water's a lot colder than you think, or you think you're a stronger swimmer and kids are inherently dumb, um, and overvaluate their capacity in a number of ways. So it's these types of things that are important to really drill home. And Benjamin mentioned too, like in New Mexico specifically, the risk of flash floods was a big one. Another reason why they were cautioned away from it. That makes a lot of sense. You know, yep. and we've we've seen, especially lately, the power of flash floods and what it can do to, you know, very built up towns and cities. Yeah. So I, like, I well, not really a flash it. flood, but New York, man, like Philadelphia too. Yeah. Yeah, man. Extreme weather. Not great. Uh, but yeah, so she does, uh, La Llorona, carry around children because she is constantly looking for her lost children. And I'm unclear on, like, if she theoretically carries them and then drowns them herself or if she just takes them back to the spirit plane. Uh, and then she also does attack cheating husbands because, spoiler alert, that is what caused this whole thing. So um, I think it's funny that we mentioned a myth a little bit earlier in this episode that does the same thing. And it, it does feel like this is a myth that similar to the Wendigo pushes to enforce the good values of a society. It's, it's interesting how much that, uh, that comes up in myths and legends. I think we're going to see that a lot this season. Like we have some traditional cryptids too, but like, I think that 
for the myths that we're doing, that that cautionary tale aspect is going to come up a lot. <laughs> yeah. Now, pop culture, like you had mentioned, um, unlike Mother Mountain, there's been a ton with La Llorona. And I think it makes sense because it's an easy myth to convey into the big screen. And it has swept across Spanish-speaking countries, not just Mexico and southwestern U.S. Um, so we've had movies about La Llorona dating back to the 1930s. And what's interesting to me, Ashton, is when we talk about cryptids, typically there's like a golden age of movies, weirdly. Um, like I'm thinking of one cryptid we did last season where it was like the 30s had like four movies. I think it was oh, Mermaids, actually. Um, and Mermaids then, had a lot. I guess Love and Frogman was really Creature from the Black Lagoon. Well, hey, that also had a play. Yeah, a musical. So so there's that. But um, whereas a lot of other cryptids have kind of that golden age, La Llorona has kept coming back to the point that WB just made a big budget movie called The Curse of La Llorona, which came out in 19, or, sorry, 2019, like just a couple of years ago. And a lot of the actors resonated with it because they had been told these stories growing up. La Llorona is a movie, The Curse of the Crying Woman, Kilometer 31, The River, Revenge of La Llorona, Curse of La Llorona, and a few others. There's also been a play made as well as a folk song. (laughs) And then like several of the other cryptids we've talked about, Grimm had an episode where La Llorona was, you know, the monster of the the week. Really? That was, dude, La Llorona was one of my favorite episodes of Grimm. Also, I just, I really liked Grimm back in the day. I fell off. I never finished it, but did they that was a really, it? that was a they, fun TV show. They I know did. they canceled they did. it. I think okay, they so they did, they did close the book. I think I watched three seasons. I watched. Seen it, like, they, they, they got real weird. Like, they really jumped the shark at one point, and I was like, all right, I'm out. But, like, when it was, like, him just figuring out that there was cryptids among us, and, like, I think La Llorona was, like, maybe beginning of season two. It was in season two, yeah. Yeah. And it was very, like, it, it was, it's fun, because that show rode the line between scary and, like, fun quite well. And La Llorona was a particularly creepy episode. I gotta go check it back out now. I... That is a show that I've meant to go back and rewatch now that it's finished. And I don't know get... if it's going to hold up, though. But, I mean, you got to remember, I live in the Portland area. And so, like, having it be based out of Portland gives it, like, a two-point yeah. bump. Like, it's that's it's the, the very thing. first episode. The very first episode, somebody, I believe somebody's murdered. And the trail that they're murdered on was literally the trail where my preschool was. Like, right out back of my preschool was where they filmed that. And I was like, well, this is this is a weird throwback. It was Forest Park, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it, yeah, I think so. It's wherever Mentor Graphics used to be. Got it. Supernatural also had an episode with La Llorona. We've seen those shows pop up a number of times throughout the cryptids. Uh, and this is no, no change there. Now, with sightings, we actually have a number of unofficial sightings versus one common sighting. Um, and... I had mentioned Laredo, Texas earlier. There were a bunch of people who saw a ghostly apparition in between Mines Road and Father Charles M. McNabbo Park. It was a taller woman in white with long black hair quietly and sadly walking by herself on the road. A number of people stopped to ask if she was okay and she looked at them sadly and brooding as if she was thinking about something um, that she had done. 
and they kept going. There were also a few different people who didn't see anything, but checking the dash cam footage when they heard about this later, did see a glowing white orb. And then in San Antonio in 1986, there was a woman who tried to drown her seven kids after fleeing an abusive marriage. She successfully drowned two of them, but was stopped from drowning the other five. And she told authorities she was La Llorona. In Houston, Texas, in 2001, a woman drowned her five kids, saying she was hearing voices telling her to do it. There was a dude in Colorado who woke up from a camping trip. Uh, there was a woman, a ghost, who led him to a cabin with a man in there of whom he could only see a foot on a bed. She then told him to run very fast, and he did. He took off like a bat out of hell. And he said that he would have run off a cliff and drowned in a river if he had hadn't smashed his foot on a rock. Um, and then finally, the last big one was there was a student at Kansas State, Manhattan, Kansas, in the big eight, or in the 80s, who was staying at a friend's at a mobile home near a creek and woke up next to a woman asking where, a, where her children were. Um, and I think this one is also interesting because when he had allegedly come into the mobile home earlier in the night to hang out with his friends, they were both super freaked out and there had been a stool spinning on its own. And they explained like this myth of La Llorona to this kid. And so then he, you know, wakes up next to woman in the same bed who was damp asking that. So that's what we've got for sightings for pop culture and for La Llorona. I, uh, I'll share real quick another story that uh, Benjamin shared with me. Basically, there was a man in a bar. This is like it goes to the cautionary tale aspect where there's this man who is known for going out and drinking and kind of like eyeing other ladies instead of his wife. And he's in a bar one night. He sees a pretty woman, follows her out into the into the street because she gives him she gives him an eye, I guess. And then as he gets closer, finds out she's wearing a veil. She takes it off and has like this skeletal dead face and he runs away and he never looks at other women again. Uh, so, you know, he, and then he, he always came home on time after that. Is <laughs> the legend. I mean, we so can hire people to go dress as skeletal women in bars, right? I honestly would not be surprised if that is something that people have done. Uh, and that is where some of the sightings have come from, where it's like, all right, we got to scare this guy straight. How do we do this? I don't know. Let's have somebody dress up as a dead woman. It is very interesting. I'd like Ben talked about that. He heard these stories when he was in school in New Mexico, like from a school age child, La Llorona was just a thing in New Mexico that everybody knew and everybody had heard about. So it's, it's, it's interesting to me how much that one has endured. And I guess it's not surprising that it captures the pop culture aspect more than La Madremonte, because in general, I think that La Madremonte is viewed as like a deity and less of like a vengeful spirit. Uh, and that's not as good for Hollywood hot takes. Yeah, hundred really like percent. Luke, lukewarm retakes, I guess. And La Llorona is all those movies are horror movies. They're really easy to tweak and have variation. And it's like, oh, hey, here's this personification of Gaia. Go make that a bad thing. And it's like, okay, so we're gonna make Mother Earth evil. That doesn't feel. Yeah, right. and so like, unless it was like pro oil company propaganda. Really? Oh man, see. Now that that is a movie I would watch is like a, a Michael Crichton esque uh, story about people going out into the jungle from like a logging company or something like that, and then they they get attacked by La Madremonte, and like they can't get out of the jungle. That really does sound like something he'd write. It's kind of similar to Congo, just instead of giant uh, apes, it's uh, it's it's a spirit entity. 
I love it. I need to yeah. go read that book. I need to go watch that movie, apparently, because the movie has laser-wielding apes, which the book does not have. And, you know, I'm kind of into the idea of laser-wielding apes and Samuel L. Jackson and Bruce Campbell. When did uh, when did Congo come out, movie-wise? I, I want to say the 80s. Okay, so is that where Austin Powers got sharks with laser beams on their heads? You know, it could be. Uh, let me just double check. Yeah, I think it's 19, 1995. Ooh. So they were they were pretty close together. I'm pretty sure Austin Powers was like 93 or 94. Uh, 97. Wow, that late? Damn. That late. Yeah, I'm surprised too. Anyway, so I thought, I don't know, I thought this was fun. Uh, I really enjoy looking into myths because they have, I don't know, they have a really like deep and rich history in the way that some of our cryptids don't, where some of our cryptids are really just based on sightings. And I I would classify La Llorona as a cryptid. What do you think, John? If we classify ghosts as cryptids, then yes, it, it is absolutely a cryptid. It is something that you could theoretically find. Um, but like... It's tough for me when we're getting into mythology because then, like, is Thor a cryptid? Yeah, so it is tricky. So the definition of cryptid is just an animal that has been claimed to exist but never proven to exist. And I guess La Llorona isn't an animal because it is... But leprechauns aren't an animal either. And I would argue that a leprechaun is absolutely a cryptid. Yeah, that's a good point. So I guess it comes down to whether or not you see spirits as cryptids. It's uh, it's a, it's a tough call, because if spirits are cryptids, then there's, like, a shit ton. But also, after our off-the-rails season, I think that we've we've learned that this stuff is just interesting, and we're going to we're gonna keep doing it. So, yeah, sorry, and, friends. And, like, we haven't tapped all the cryptids cryptids yet, and I don't think we ever will, just because there's so many of them. But you know, yeah, at the end of the I day, mean, guess what? This is our show, so we get to decide what we talk about. <laughs> That's right. Shut up, listener. We're gonna fill your head with myth, and you're gonna you're gonna like it. You you take these myths and eat it. Sorry, I'm I'm sorry for my co-host. We love you. Thank you for listening. We really yeah. appreciate you. Welcome back. I I love you, but eat this myth. Um, <laughs> coming up, we've got a lot of good stuff on tap this season, but I am gonna try and keep it a little more of a secret. Despite our Twitter that keeps leaking everything, I tell it not to leak. Uh, it's definitely not run by me, by the way. That's a conspiracy theory. But I I, I will just leave you with this. Uh, next time. We're going to get into some uh, some creepy pasta. Take that for what it means to you. You know, I don't know. Hit us up if you know what we're going to talk about. I think that that hint is a little easy. They're going to get harder as the season goes on. So, like, get training on your brain. Can't wait. Well, thank you for listening, and we will see you soon. Bye-bye. That is all we have for this week on Cryptids Decrypted. These are two very interesting myths, and uh, I thought it was kind of fun to do the the dual myth perspective, but we'd love to hear what you thought of it. Uh, Was it too little depth on one of the cryptids? Was it just the right amount? Uh, Let us know, because maybe we'll do more dual myths, because there's plenty... There's there's a lot of middle ground myths that are like, you know, our cryptid royales are four at a time, which is really short, but doing them uh, two at a time gives us a little more depth than that, so that's... uh, I don't know, something we can continue doing. So if you like it, let us know. Uh, you know, if not, also let us know. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks, and we are going to be talking about a nice little internet myth, which uh, if you go on our Twitter or Instagram, which I'm just going to keep plugging those because that is that is the best way for us to communicate with you because, you know, frankly, we don't have all your phone numbers. Uh, we don't have a little text chain with all of our listeners. Don't have an email list or anything like that. So 
those are the places you interact with us. But we are posting some hints at what that myth is going to be, uh, as well as just some fun images and all that. And if you want more depth on the myths we covered today, uh, just a little bit, you can go to my website, macashton.com slash cryptidsdecrypted, and you will find a little little article with some videos about Labadramonte and La Llorona. So that's it. That's all I got for today. Uh, thank you again for listening. Uh, have, be safe. We love you all. See you soon.